This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers audio experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today we have an amazing show, like we always have by the way. And I'm here with a good friend of mine who I met actually here on Clubhouse. Uh, His name is called Ryan Hornby. Ryan is a serial entrepreneur. He's a brand digital and business development consultant. He's an investor. He's a a business property investor as well. And he's also a business mentor for uh, creative entrepreneurs. Ryan founded a modeling uh, and creative agency back in the day and uh, has worked with massive brands such as Chanel, Adidas, Puma, uh, Calvin Klein, all of those massive brands. And that was sold and it was acquired um, quite a number of years ago. And, and we'll talk about that actually. Now, what Brian does is he actually provides a lot of strategic counsel for branding and marketing. He's also a founder of a new company called Avocado, which is um, a tech-based company based in Belfast, which is uh, which I believe they're developing a SaaS product, which we'll talk about as well. And, and amongst that, all the other things that's going on, I met Ryan, believe it or not, like I said to you, on Clubhouse. And what I particularly loved about Ryan is, is intellectual conversations. Like this guy, when I, when I first came across him, was like, wow, this guy's sharp, right? And I really applaud people that are not only on ball, but really create, really bring value to the table. So Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. It's a pleasure. All good, all good. So interestingly enough, I know that you, uh, well, you started off with I Am. Mm. And, um, and, and basically you founded I Am, which is now no longer around anymore. But mm. I'd love to know more about where the ideas came from when it came to building up I am because I was really fascinated by that story if I if I'm honest with you I'm like wow this guy is you know he's, he's worked with all these brands um you, you know you were one of the first you were the only biggest agent agency you know on the global scale to be able to really kind of understand the relationship between models and agencies and kind of you know gelling them together weren't they I mean tell us a bit more about that yeah, it's a good question. And it's a funny one because normally I would have some, you know, well-rehearsed, articulate answers to why and how I, I built the business, particularly to that gap in the market. But this happened very much by accident in as much as the very, very long story short, Adam, is that I was a musician for many years. Before I was an entrepreneur, before I went into business, I was a musician. And I dropped out of school when I was 16. And I actually lived in Los Angeles. While I was in Los Angeles, I was with a record label out there. And, you know, obviously, because you haven't heard my my songs in the charts, it it didn't quite go to plan. Um, But what did happen is I was exposed to lots of different amazing and interesting people. And some of those people were models because the music industry and and the fashion industry is very closely interlinked. Mm -hmm. 
And I moved to London with, with the label. And while I was recording, I met a girl. As the old story goes, <laughs> I fell in love with her. She was Irish and I moved to Belfast as a result. Now, I, I was not somebody who ever really was, was focused in school. I actually left with not a single qualification to my name. In fact, one time fairly recently, I, uh, I was looking at my window and I saw a police chase and it was quite exciting. And I, I had this notion of, oh, maybe, maybe I'll join the police. Maybe I'll just pack it all in and join the police because it was quite <laughs> exciting. Um, but funnily enough, when I went to apply, I realized I don't even have enough GCSEs to, to join the police. Um, so that's the state of my qualifications. Um, but I, I kind of thought to myself, how on earth do I make money here? I'm no longer a musician. I have no real skills. I have no qualifications. I'm in love with this girl. I want to be able to provide and have a life together. I'm in a new city. What do I do? And um, I knew a lot of models. And a long, long time ago, you'd never know looking at me now, Adam, but a long, long time ago, I actually did a bit of modeling myself. So my fail safe, my backstop was I am going to be a model again. And I was much younger there, much slimmer, much more handsome than I am now. Um, <laughs> and I thought to myself, I'll be a model. That's how I learn a bit of cash. And I was sitting in the kitchen of my uh, then partner's um, house. And I turned to her to her and I said, Alex, her name was Alex. I said, Alex, the agencies here in Belfast are rubbish. I think <laughs> I'll start my own. Um, and, and she looked at me and she laughed and, and she said, why are you laughing? And I said, uh, sorry, I, she looked at me and she laughed when I said I would start my own. Right, right, right. And um, she said, uh, she said, I'm laughing because I know you're serious. And that evening, I had purchased a domain, I'd started an Instagram, I'd phoned some of my model friends and asked if I could represent them, at least unofficially, um, to show face. And yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about it in more detail. Um, and it went on, thankfully, to be fairly successful. And that was really only because there was a gap in the market that was crying out to be filled. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. But that's how the company came to exist. Uh, nothing more exciting or fancy than that, unfortunately. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, so, mm. so you basically act as like, what, that agent? Yeah, exactly. So we, we found local talent. At the beginning, it was only models. We found local talent. And we essentially acted as a middleman between themselves and clientele. And we negotiated on their behalf. We built their portfolios. Each model, actually, in, in, in a way, is their own little micro business. And so we branded them. We marketed them. We engaged in business development strategy. And we put them in front of clientele who wanted to book them. Um, and I'm not sure how much you know about the modeling industry or how much anyone knows, but the one thing that is true in the modeling industry is it is bloody lucrative. It is so, so lucrative. Um, so thankfully, it was, a, it was a brilliant moneymaker. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd, I'd really pass as much of a model these days. I was kind of... I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. I actually have a contract in my pocket right here, Adam. We'll really? talk after oh, the show, fantastic. I think. Yeah. Excellent. Well, there is a gap in the market for, for specifically for middle-aged bald men right now. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Mm. Uh, well, actually, it, it, is, it is, by the way, it is, by the way, very much in tune with what women want. 
apparently. Mm. That's according to mm. GQ magazine and FHM. And you know that from experience, I'm sure. I'm You're sure. like the links adverts where you can't go for a long <laughs> walk down the street without hordes of women following you. <laughs> yeah, I literally have to uh, bash them off. I have to get my bodyguards involved. Private security. Take yeah, them I get away, it. Keep them away. Uh, so I believe it. <laughs> uh, love it, love it, love it, love it. Very cool. So, um, interestingly enough, so, okay, so, so, into modeling um and then i mean how long did that last what five six mm. years how long did that last before you kind of decided that you know i mean there must have been like things going on in your head thinking oh where can we really take this right mm. what, and and then obviously you became you got acquired you know mm. number of years down the line what was the, what was the time scales mm. it was three years from start to finish wow which is very quick wow. uh, and again that was just reflective of the gap in the market that was crying out to be filled. But you, you, you alluded to a really interesting point there, Adam, in as much as you spoke about um, how and where I could take it. And the reality is Belfast is not Milan. Belfast is not London. <laughs> Belfast is not New York. And the truth is there was a glass ceiling. And we did our best to push that glass ceiling as far as possible. So we were actually the first agency in the country's history ever to represent uh, Irish model at a major fashion week in London, Milan, Paris, New York. We were the first agency in the country's history ever to work with major agencies in the fashion capitals such as Elite, IMG, Storm, Next. And we also, as you, you've already mentioned, we, we worked with huge brands like Chanel, Calvin Klein, Topshop, ASOS. And for a little agency in Belfast, Northern Ireland, that was about as far as I could push it. <laughs> uh, and so as many entrepreneurs will relate to, there comes a time in the lifespan of a business, but also in an entrepreneur's life where they know they have an inkling, there's a frustration, there's itchy feet, and it's time to move on to the next thing. And that's exactly what I did. But how do you know when that, when that, because, you know, and one thing that we've established, especially on places like Clubhouse, where you get existing business owners and entrepreneurs that have been doing the same fucking thing for years, mm. if not months, right? And I'm like, why are you doing this to yourself? And obviously, they're the mm. main bottleneck. But what, I mean, what's your take on this? Well, do you have any advice for people? Like, you already you already kind of said, oh, you know, they're, they're, there's a shelf life, right? Your shelf life was like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm done, three years, I'm out type of thing. Mm -hmm. How did mm -hmm. you know from your perspective, when the shelf life was? When did you know when to move on? Well, personally speaking, I know because I become a little bit disillusioned with the whole project, a little bit discontent in as much as I'm a very extreme personality and I believe a lot of entrepreneurs are. And what I, what I mean by that is when I dive into a new project, build a new business, I am headfirst all in it consumes every fiber of my being and i gauge as to when it's time to leave when that feeling of obsession dissipates when i wake up in the morning and i think to myself i don't know if i want to go to work today that's when i know it's time to move on or to scale and expand to to um to broach new frontiers if you like but I am somebody, and this is not for everyone, but I am somebody who is very much led by my heart, is very much led by the way I 
feel and I like to trust my intuition and my gut that has that has served me very well thus far so I listen to it closely and I think that's a skill actually to be able to do that and um, otherwise we become stagnant yeah and I, agree. I agree I think that's a really important point important point the other thing I was going to say to you is I one thing that really kind of um, attracts me to you is the fact that you're extremely perceptually aware of what you really, number one, what you want in life, but also you're aware of your strengths and weaknesses. And, and, mm. and I, I think that's a great strength to have. Um, what's, what's, what, what, what do you think about that? It's a really important skill to have, to be aware of your weaknesses. It really is. And I was mentioning in Forbes magazine recently that it's crucially important for young entrepreneurs to understand that there are people out there who are better than you at what you do. Exactly. And once entrepreneurs put their ego aside, cast their pride to one side, then that's when true growth happens because a good entrepreneur should be working on their business, not in their business. And in order to take that step aside, we must understand that people are better than us at what we do. And in order to understand what people to hire in that capacity or to work with in that capacity, you must understand our weaknesses. So it's crucial. It's actually a non-negotiable in business, in my opinion. Yeah, very good. Love it. Very cool. Um, interestingly enough, I mean, we, we already established some of the companies that you'd worked with over the years. And I mean, they're, they're big, reputable brands. You know, they've been around for years and, and the reputation precedes them, I suppose. Um, but when it comes to when it comes to psychology and emotion uh, in particular, um, what has that got to do with business particular, especially when it comes to, you know, I know that a lot of um, of our listeners, they all want to know how they can sell more, how they can connect more, how they can mm. build relationships more. What's um, what what does emotion and psychology got to do with business? Mm. It's a great question, and it's a question I could answer for hours upon hours upon hours. <laughs> but I I'll take you back to Sunday school for a moment, and I'll relay a truth that we all already know, and and then I'll expand it a little bit further. Business is about relationships. That's obvious to any entrepreneur worth their salt. You know, that's a business for dummies, business 101. Business is about relationships and sales are made off the back of the relationships. We know that. Now, where we fall down in 2021 is that we have stopped pursuing that relationship. Why? Because it is so easy to access prospective clientele via social media, LinkedIn, various softwares. And so we think that, well, we've acquired the direct contact information or we know where these individuals live. We know how to get to them. So the relationship part is actually not so important. And actually, that could not be further from the truth. You know, once upon a time, salesmen and women understood that in order to make sales, they had to knock on doors, that business was done on the golf course. Business was done at sports events and fast restaurants. And the sales life cycle was a long, drawn out period of time. And we have to almost get to back to basics in that regard. So how does psychology apply? 
well, in order to build relationship with people, we must understand people. And in order to understand people, we must understand psychology. It's as simple as that. We must understand the basic needs and desires of human beings in order to fulfill those needs and desires. Um, let me give you an example of that because it's all very well saying that, but let me give you an example. Sure. Um, one of the biggest mistakes that people make Actually, I'm going to split this into two parts. It's, it's, it comes under the same umbrella, but it comes in two parts. So the first part of the mistake that people make is when they are reaching out to prospective clientele, especially in the B2B space, they are in the mindset that they're speaking to a company. So let's use Adidas, for example. When we are contacting Adidas or a purchasing decision maker at Adidas, we are not speaking to Adidas, the company. They do not exist. They are a concept. Who we are actually speaking to is Matthew, who might be 35, loves snowboarding, has a couple of dogs, and lives in a two-bedroom apartment in Zone 2 in London. That's who we're speaking to. So we need to stop curating our correspondence in a way that appeals to a company, but that appeals to a person to Matthew, that's so important. So that's the first mistake that we make. And then the second part of that mistake is, for some reason, when we are curating that written correspondence, we have the tendency to become cold, to become corporate. And I don't know why we do that. We almost stiffen up when we're writing an email. But we're in 2021 now, and the days of corporate coldness are over. And now people respond to and psychologically respond to vulnerability, to human beings, to realness. And it's interesting because I always say to my clientele and people I speak to, if you had Matthew, to use the example again, from Adidas in a room with you, in front of you, you would not speak to him like, dear Matthew, my name is, I do, I would love to hear from you, warmest regards. You would not speak like that because, <laughs> because it's absurd because you understand instinctively that you need to build a relationship with that person. Yeah. That is a psychological need. So we must curate our correspondence, particularly in the context of email, for example, as if they were in the room. Be warm, be personable, be engaging, be vulnerable. Talk about yourself, not just what you do. People receive hordes of emails trying to sell them things people receive hordes of emails telling them what people do but not who they are and actually commonality those two words me too breeds relationship which equals sales and so even just to say hey i'm ryan and i i live in belfast i've got a big fluffy golden doodle called elmo i love surfing and coffee there might just be a commonality in there there might just be a me too, which breeds relationships, which appeals to the psychology of a human being, which ultimately equates to sales. So there's an example as to why psychology is so important. And, and as I say, I could speak for hours upon hours upon hours about this subject. You know, that's a really, it's, it's, it's really interesting, you know, and there was a really, some really key points that you put in there. And, and, and I mean, you get it like me, probably more so, you know, we get bombarded with, 
LinkedIn requests, emails of, you know, selling, selling their soul to the devil. And it's like this act of what I call desperation, which is just not pretty. It's like, well, why would I do business with a desperate person? It's just not, it just doesn't feel good. Right. It's a bit, I kind of see um, relationship building and sales and psychology a bit like dating. You know, when you meet a girl or a guy and you, you, you know, you want to make that good impression. You don't want to come across as some douchebag type of thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it, do you sort of mean, Ryan? It's, it's a little bit like Absolutely. that. Well, let's take that example, actually. If we were to go on a date for the first time with somebody who we didn't know very well or who we didn't know at all, yeah. would you begin speaking to that individual like this? Hi there. My name is Ryan. I would like two children and I would like to marry you in the near future. Uh, no, you wouldn't. You absolutely wouldn't. And, and similarly, in business, we should not be starting that relationship by saying, hi, my name is Ryan. I do X and I want X from you. Absolutely not. Not at all. You know, what, one of the things that I really love, um, what we're talking about, especially around sort of psychology, is really learning about what, what makes people tick, but what's important to them right? Because if you can find out what's important to them, then you can find out, you know, if you can actually fulfill a gap within their yeah. life, right? And it's like, yeah. oh, wow, this person really knows me. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Very interesting. Very interesting. And more than that, I think that in, in 2021, again, where purchasing decision makers have the pick of the litter, as far as people that they can work with. We operate, all of us across industry and sector in saturated and competitive markets. And so it's no longer good enough just to be good at what you do or provide a good quality product or service, actually. Not good enough at all. And again, to use the dating example, um, when I'm dating, I, I want to date somebody who's nice, but it's not enough for me to put a ring on their finger and marry them. And in the same way for prospective decision makers, it's not enough just to be good at what you do and have a good quality product and service. And actually that little bit more that we can offer in 2021 is we can be problem solvers and we can take the time to engage in discovery and research as to the problems that these businesses or individuals are facing, and then we can be solution oriented and provide those solutions to them. And that is the more than just being good at what you do. And in order to provide those solutions, we have to understand those businesses. We have to take the time to really get to know, like in dating, those companies and those purchasing decision makers. Yep, good point. Love it. Very good. Um, Interestingly enough, I wanted to kind of, um, well, kind of related to what we're doing, but I, I wanted to, I'm really fascinated because you've worked with a lot of big brands that we've already established, but what I'd like to know more about some of the branding and marketing tactics that a lot of entrepreneurs, smaller businesses could employ in their own businesses mm. that isn't really going to cost the earth because I know what mm. the first thing that people are thinking about is, oh my God, this, I don't have the billion dollar million dollar uh you know marketing budgets like the big brands do no we get that but what are some of the um you know some of the some of the tactics that that you could advise on when it comes to marketing and branding and in relation to what some of the big boys do Mm, it's, it's a great question and 
The truth is there is no magic bullet in as much as there is no one single quick branding marketing fix because every business has different needs. Every business operates in different sectors with different clientele who have different pain points. However, however, and to use the dating analogy again, um, marketing is like asking somebody on a date, but branding is the reason that they say yes. And actually specifically for businesses that don't have massive budgets, they need to be focusing their efforts on branding rather than marketing. And I think businesses get this so wrong. And by the way, what is the difference between branding and marketing? Uh, That's probably important to clarify. And I'll use a really simple analogy. So I I like to think of business in three parts, brand, marketing, and business development. Um, And I like to talk about those parts um, like in, in the analogy of a car. So using the analogy of a car, brand is the car. Marketing is the petrol that makes the car drive and business development is knowing the addresses of the individuals that are going to be interested in that car. Now, businesses spend a lot of time putting petrol in the car. Let's get this out to as many people as possible. Let's do Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising, LinkedIn advertising, Google advertising. Let's get this out to as many people as possible. But the truth is you can put all the petrol in the car that you want, but unless you've taken the time to prep, prime, paint and polish your car, no one's going to turn their heads. No one's going to care. That car has to be very pretty. And actually businesses have to put more and more and more petrol in the car to make it go further and further and further and put it in front of more and more and more people to find somebody that will turn their heads. So businesses need to reorientate their priorities and focus on priming, prepping, painting, and polishing their car. And then they will not have to spend so much money putting petrol in the tank. And, and you know, what does that actually look like? Because it's all very well using that analogy, but what does it look like to prep, prime, paint, and polish our car? Well, brand strategy, it's a big topic of conversation, but what I can tell you, is it's more than just a logo or colors on a page. Brand strategy is many simple things and successful people do many simple things correctly, in my opinion, because success is an amalgamation of an infinite number of tiny details. And so what are some of those details? It's a QR code and a business card to make that customer journey seamless. It's consistency in the verbiage that you're using across all your brand touch points, your website, your Instagram, your physical assets. It's ensuring that the particular color palette that you have used appeals to that specific persona that hopefully you have built. It is understanding the pain points of your personas and speaking to alleviate those pain points in every piece of brand messaging across all touch points. It It is ensuring there's a human being on the other end of a line. These are small details that are imperative in prepping, priming, painting, and polishing our car in brand strategy. Love it. Very cool. It's it's interesting because you were talking about... um, um, you, you were talking about the fact that um, you, you're not connecting to 
to businesses, right? Because it's a concept. I never heard mm. that before, by the way, but it's mm. true. Mm. And one, I, and I always, you know, and I and I hear these conversations, especially on Clubhouse, because you know we hang out on there quite a lot. Mm. And it, and people are still using the same language as well about the whole kind of oh, but business to consumer, business to business, and I'm just like. Mm. Why are we still using terminology from like 20 yeah. years ago? It's like, yeah. it's not business to, con it's business to human because mm -hmm. everyone is, there's a human. It's like, do you know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. You know, there are mountains of psychological research that concludes empirically that we are visceral, emotional, instinctive creatures. And actually, in the B2B space, I would argue it's even more important to appeal to the human because there's more skin in the game for the purchasing decision maker in the B2B context. Right. And as much as their decision means more. And so it is even more important to appeal to their needs, their psychological needs. It's even more important to evoke emotion in them because they need to know they're making the right call. Um, interestingly enough, I, I, I think one of the, one of the, um, uh, well, I know that a lot of our listeners will be thinking to ourselves, well, this is all very well said and done, uh, Ryan, but how can we get our prospects, our consumers, our clients or whatever it is to make faster decisions? How can we make them to understand what, what we've got to an offer, whatever mm. that looks like in terms of solution oriented how is it that we can get them to make faster decisions and how does again psychology how can we apply psychology in order to educate them about how to increase that decision making any thoughts there yeah great question and again there's there's many strategies that come to mind and i'll speak about one so in the context of outreach when we are suspecting prospecting and hopefully converting business Obviously, that generally starts to be email, particularly in 2021, particularly in light of a pandemic. So assuming that we've curated an email which appeals to the human being, which is personable, engaging, which evokes emotion. Um, the mistake that a lot of salespeople or entrepreneurs make is, one, not following up at all, and two, in the way that they follow up. And there are subtle details and there are subtle implementations which we can utilize to apply pressure and also to appeal to the psychology of the human. So I'll give you one example of that, one really simple example. Sure. It's cheeky. It's really cheeky. But <laughs> we like cheeky. I am a big fan of the following follow-up strategy. I like to follow up once a week for a month. Once a week for a month. Now, just as a caveat here, we should never follow up on a Friday. We should never follow up on a Monday. We should try not to follow up on a Thursday. Tuesdays and Wednesdays are good days to follow up for very obvious reasons. And again, side note, little bonus tip there. If you can automate your email to go out in the wee hours of the morning, the day before, then the likelihood is that that individual, when they get into the office, and let's be honest, most of us, when we first get in our office, what do we do? We clear our emails. Yeah. And if we automate it to go in the wee hours of the morning, our emails can be at the top of the pile. But anyway, that's by the by. So the cheeky part is 
when I'm reaching out the first time, I will always blame the fact that I'm reaching out on a faulty email server. And I know it's cheeky, but I'll say, <laughs> hey, I, I know it's so cheeky, but you know, it's a way, all of these little te- tactics that I'm about to relay, they are ways to apply pressure without making it obvious that that's what we're doing. It's a way to speed up the sales cycle. So I like to say, hey, um, just reaching out because I've been having some issues with my emails. I just want to make sure you got it. That's your first follow-up. Second follow-up then is, hey, just reaching out. I would love to connect with you or speak about this a little bit further. Um, Of course, I know you're very busy. Only if you have a couple of spare minutes, take care really gentle soft nudge we're applying pressure without it being obvious that that's what we're doing all right then when it comes to the third email this is what i like to do again we want to remind them that we're there hello we're still here we want to apply pressure without making it obvious so what do we do well i like to find them on linkedin and connect with them on linkedin because again it just refreshes their mind as the fact hello we're still here but it's not so invasive yeah that's what i like to do Makes sense. And then the fourth piece of outreach, the fourth email, I always start every piece of correspondence with, this will be my last email. That applies pressure. Time is ticking. The countdown clock has begun. This will be my last email. And be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Put all your cards on the table. Let it all out. Because what the hell do you have to lose? And so I like to say, this will be my last email. Look, I know you're very busy, but the opportunity to have a conversation with you would really and truly mean the world to me. And so if you do have a spare two minutes, I would appreciate it more than you know. Why? Because human beings love an underdog. Human beings have a desire to help. Human beings respond well to vulnerability. And so be vulnerable. So there are four pieces of outreach and tactics that we can apply within our outreach which apply pressure speed up the sales cycle without it being immediately obvious that that's what we're actually doing and of course there's an abundance more strategy but there's just one for you adam hopefully that answers the question love it love it love it um one thing that actually came to my mind when we were talking about that strategy as such right is um from my perspective um, and I agree with what you what you've just said, by the way. But being vulnerable is ever more important, especially in this day and age, right? Mm. People love mm-hmm. uh, vulnerable people. But there's also a fine line between being vulnerable or showing vulnerability and being desperate or coming mm. across desperate because they're polar opposites, aren't they? A bit yeah. like uh, many other things. So they're polar opposites. What have we got to be, I suppose, how do we become consciously aware of, you know, um, if we're connecting with people and, and you know, deploying these marketing uh, tactics as such as to not come across desperate, but to show vulnerability? Any sort of advice there? Yeah, it's a good question. I have a few practical pieces of advice as far as ensuring that we don't cross the line from vulnerable to desperate. The first is that two heads, three heads, four heads, five heads are always better than one. And so something that I do still to this day and will probably always do is before I send a really important piece of correspondence, 
I contact somebody who I trust to read it over. And that's because we are biased and we have subconscious bias that we're entirely unaware of. And so people will read tone in entirely different ways. So just sending that piece of correspondence to somebody for a quick cross check is a great, is a great thing to do. Love it. Love the, it. the other piece of advice that I can give is keep your ask small, keep your ask small, particularly in light of the fact that you're building a relationship, even if you have a relationship with the individual, keep your ask small and understand that sales is a cycle. It's a journey. And we always talk about sales as being a funnel and that's absolutely correct. And the reality is that as part of that funnel, there are many, many steps. And when you ask for X, the bottom of the funnel, you can definitely come across desperate. So understand that there are steps to get to the place where you want to be and that there are runs on the ladder that you have to climb before you have to get to the top. And I think the, the most important piece of advice that I will give is vulnerability, in my opinion, particularly in the context of business, is not being afraid to show who you are. Not Ryan, the entrepreneur, not Ryan, the multiple business owner who's achieved X, not Ryan that you see in Forbes, not Ryan on TEDx, Ryan who switches off at 7, 8 p.m. at night and has a glass of red wine and sits with my dog and scrolls through the internet or goes here or there on a Saturday. That's the human being that we want to show, that human being. And as long as we do that, then I think we'll, we, will, we will not, crossover from vulnerable into desperate love it love it love it love it and i know and one thing that we haven't really touched about and i don't know i think from my especially from a marketing branding perspective is that you know there, there's so much peer pressure these days social media pr uh, pressure about the about kind of the way the buyers consumers and kind of you, you just generally how we try to um pass a judgment before you know it might be the wrong end of the stick or we try to emulate someone that we're not truly whether it be an identity whether it be oh i you know i i, I kind of want to plagiarize what that person is saying but really it has no reflection or doesn't have anything really to do with you um any i'd love to know what your um I, you know what your thoughts about you know making sure that number one we, if you've got any advice for some of our listeners with regards to um, you know, about being you really about you, you, you're extremely good at being you. And that's what I suppose attracted me to you in, in a way, because there's a lot of what I call fake it before you make it type of wannabes. Right. And, and it really pisses me off. You know, it really drives me insane, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. What, what's your thoughts? Great question. So my thoughts are first, all to to respond to one of your earlier points it is a really bad idea to plagiarize another business's or another individual's identity why well for many reasons but the reality is that there is no single business on this planet that appeals to the exact same personas True. and in marketing 
I, I talk about the importance of building personas and understanding the pain points of our personas. And that is something that we must all do in order to succeed. And the truth is that as soon as we start adopting or plagiarizing other businesses or other individuals messaging, we're speaking to their audience's pain points, not our audience's pain points. Right. Our audience have entirely different pain points. Right. So that, that's a nightmare. And um, the other issue with that is just to touch on it really briefly, um, a trap that, that many marketers fall into and entrepreneurs in general is that they see other businesses or individuals who are on the surface at least achieving success and they see them on certain platforms, be it Facebook or, or Instagram, and they think, I need to be on those platforms. Uh, but that's dangerous as well, because the truth is that, um, again, there is no magic bullet. There is no one platform which is successful for all businesses across all industries and sectors. For example, um, in the B2B space, Instagram is, is pretty pointless, to be honest with you, as far <laughs> as attaining conversions and actually selling, it's pretty rubbish. Um, and yet many marketers will have you believe, particularly marketers that are trying to sell you a course on Instagram, that you have to be on Instagram. It's the next big thing. It's where everybody is. It's where the party is. It's not true. It's entirely not true. In, in the retail space, for example, Facebook advertising, despite what we might think about Facebook or, or its validity in the market, Facebook advertising is the most lucrative and successful means of selling product in the e-commerce space and retail. And so it's really important that we don't just look at someone else's marketing strategy, look at their messaging, look at the channels that they're espousing and mimic them. Really, really important. Now, what I would advise every entrepreneur to go away and do in order to be able to truly understand who their identity is, is to go away and construct a list of values and morals. And actually, uh, one of the things that Forbes asked me was advice um, that I would give to young entrepreneurs. And I, I, I responded by saying every single young entrepreneur or old entrepreneur, any entrepreneur should create a pitch deck to truly understand who they are, their business, their market, how to appease that market. Um, and as part of that pitch deck, you need to understand your values and your morals. And to give you an example of how important that is, if I was to ask you to describe Nike, for example, you would describe Nike using words that describe a human being. And that's very intentional on Nike's behalf because Nike have morals and values. Google have morals and values. Google them. You can see them for yourself. And those morals and values shape their identity, who they are, and the way in which they speak to their audience. And if you as an entrepreneur are just coasting, if you've just built a business and thought, oh, well, I'm just kind of speaking any which way I want to, I'm kind of, you know, winging the messaging, then you will not succeed. Or at least at the very least, or sorry, if you're lucky at the very most, you are, you will not bolster return on investment like you should be. And so go away, work out your morals and values, who you are, work out the pain parts of your personas and how to speak directly to them and because that's ultimately what makes Nike, Nike and Adidas, Adidas and Apple, Apple and Ryan, Ryan and Adam, Adam. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, listen, hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Game Changers audio experience. If you like today's episode, then please do me a favor and drop a review. 
Also, if you did enjoy it any, or you have any questions for Ryan at all, please contact him on his social media handles below and uh, we'll see you soon. So have a great week, month or year whenever listening to this and we'll see you soon. Take care. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers Experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.